I'm Sir Flobojan Thunderhammer. And I'm Teflon Frosthammer. And I'm Cabbage Tidehammer. And this is Whack. If Ampgard Knighthood means anything, you can't knife a motherfucker and keep it. And the thing that people need to understand essentially about arts and sciences events is that your scores don't matter. Do you want a black phoenix or a white phoenix? Jeez, language, man. We're yeah, on right. a freaking podcast, for fuck's sake. Mind-blowing experience, right? What? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wacked, where we discuss topics important to the Kingdom of Winter's Edge, interview interesting people from around the foam-fighting world, and get the intro out of order a couple of times. So that's okay. We're not going <laughs> to cut this. No, this week... <laughs> This week we have Sir Gillen on the podcast and his squire, Warlord Gunn. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Yep. Appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to start with you, Sir Gillen. Uh, You've been in the game for, I don't know, 40 years or so. 50 or so years now. When did you get in the game and what got you into the game? Uh,. I got into the game in, God. Okay, so I got into Amgard in 96, but I started foam fighting in 93 when I was uh, like a freshman in high school. We did, uh, I was in, uh, I was at a karate studio, you know, pretty typical stuff. And uh, I had a friend that just called me up one day and said, hey, we're doing this thing. And it turned out it was a junior SCA group. Um, and so I thought that we met at the high school every Sunday for, I don't know how long. And the people that were there knew about the leaders of that knew about AmpGuard because AmpGuard had been here uh, yeah, yeah. a little bit and, uh, they just intentionally didn't tell us about it. So um, <laughs> it wasn't until that, that group kind of faded out that, uh, someone was like, well, we should just go play AmpGuard now since there's no group. And I was like, what's that? Oh, I, then, I see. What's the draw to Anthgard over Junior SCA? Uh, I don't know that we ever played by any like official rule set. Uh, okay. We were just like a, a pickup group. Uh, like, I, I'm pretty sure I broke every finger that I have on my right hand at least once playing with that group because uh, I went from fighting and realizing that they they were just going to hit people with weapons that would you know cut them open, it's just kind of PVC with pipe insulation, bare minimum stuff. Uh, and so then I started making all the weapons, uh, and then it, it really wasn't much better because I wasn't much better at it. So, uh, but it was a little bit safer, but yeah, we were just, uh, there was no real, I think the, uh, uh, official junior SCA is like, um, you still wear the armor for the most part. It's not like serious SCA kit armor, but you know, like lacrosse armor, lacrosse helms, stuff right. like that we donated the last of my lacrosse helms that I had hanging around to, to the youth program, the SCA youth program here um, a couple years back. And so that's all it was, but we never did any of that. Right. <laughs> we just did each other. And it was loosely, I, I mean, it was almost identical to Anthgard. I mean, the only thing that was really the, the different was the, uh, like the leg rules or whatever you could, uh, it's like SCA now you could, you could have all of your limbs gone and just be a torso walking around. It was pretty dumb. It's <laughs> fair. Um, Warlord Gun, how about you? Well, I was at a card shop. I was playing Pokemon and Magic the Gathering at the time. And uh, this dude showed up. Um, he was from the Air Force and he was stationed there. 
Was that Goldcrest? No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> he was uh he heard about a LARP and he he came there to get some people to join him. I was 13, 14 at the time. So I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> I don't know where you're going. <laughs> but, I pretty much lived at the guy's house for five days a week. Like my parents were questioning where the hell I was at. Uh, but he knew about, he knew about the LARP amp guard and I just went with him and it just kind of stuck since then. Um, we were, can't remember the company name that we made up to, to go, but it was a few of us high school kids that were playing magic and gathering at the comic book shop called, uh, adventures of back in Valdosta, Georgia. Huh. And the, park we, the park we went to was Dragon's Keep at the time. I think it's called Iron Cross or something now. So yeah, it, the name's changed quite a bit because... What, what kingdom would this have been? Dragonspine. Dragonspine, okay. Uh, either Dragonspine or they just became part of Neverwinter because it was 2002. Oh, no, it would have been, yeah. You're right. Okay. So. It was originally Dragonspine. Everything was originally Dragonspine. Yeah, no, so okay. this is a really this is a really funny tie-in because I think that in the episode last week with uh, Sir Golwyn, right, we mentioned that Golwyn and Zeb had originally met, Gillen. maybe not their first meeting. Uh, yeah, sorry. If I say Zeb, it's Gillen. If I say John, it's Gunn. We we all know each other in real life, so I may use the names interchangeably. But the uh, uh, Golan uh, met Gillen again at a Dragon's Rage that happened either at the park that Gunn went to or a park that was really close to the park that you went to as your regular park. Is that right? Uh, the site was actually in pretty close to the Lake Park site. Okay. Um, the 4-H camp, but it wasn't the 4-H camp. Um, okay. It was in the, that vicinity. They ended up building this massive pavilion that had the court area. Okay. It's one of the few times that I met Shalzar. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and we were actually fighting at the time in Downspear in a 48. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. That's how I remember yeah. the guy fighting. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna we're gonna give the next question to uh, Warlord Gun first. Um, obviously, you know that's how you get into the game. What was your goal when you first got in, and at what point did a sword belt start to make sense for you? Um, because we know, you know, you are I, as Monarch of Winter's Edge. I've already promised to drop the belt on you, and then COVID happened. So I'm treating it like you are. It is sort of a fate accompli. Like you are more or less a knight as soon as events start happening. When did that start? Um, when did that goal sort of crystallize for you? Well, uh, I started the game with archery because it was just fun shooting everybody in the testicles. <laughs> How many knights have said that they started the game with archery? Is it is it eight? Is it eight different people we've had that said, I just wanted to be a good archer? I don't know, but I know that everyone who said they wanted to be a good archer liked shooting people in the dick. So yeah, Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I started it that way and then... Uh, I wanted to be champion one term, and uh, so I made I qualified doing the ANS stuff, and then at the time I think I was 15, so I wanted to be champion, and I at that time um, started picking up fighting sword and board, and uh, I joined that tournament, and I actually took first place, and at that point is when I was like, 
I could possibly get to be in the sword night. So I would always join tournaments to, to, I guess, gauge myself, especially with new people that I've never met. Mm-hmm. Right. At that point, at 15 is when I really wanted to push, but being limited to resources to only having a minimum wage job and yeah, I can only 20 hours a week. <laughs> Traveling was a bit hard. Yeah, I feel that on a spiritual level. <laughs> um, when I when I started, I was working at a God. Was it KFC or Subway? I don't even remember. Is Subway? Was you got a sandwiches. Oh, I got fired from that place so fast too. Yeah, a different story. sandwiches. Yeah, that that was definitely part of it. Um, so real quick before we before we ask um, Sir Gillen the same question, um, there is a phrase that gets said a lot, and I thought it was just a, a winner's edge thing. It's not. Um, but board is a black hole for talent. What's your opinion on that? Because you started sword and board, you're still great at sword and board. Where do you where do you stand on that? Um, I started sword and board, and I felt that it was a. I ended up plateauing pretty bad. Um, once once I was, I hit six order of the warrior because my park at that time was Grand Duchy, so I could get my six pretty easy. Right at that, I was top tier at my park. And that's when, at, at one point when Zeb and Goldwyn and I think Nocturne showed up in my park, that I realized I was nowhere near where I needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest fish but in I'm the smallest pond. Warrior, and then I was like, call that uninformed optimism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so that's when I realized that there's a lot of learning that I needed to do. I mean, when was that? Didn't it? I'm just trying to establish like a timeline for that. I don't remember. 2007. So five years after I've been in the game. Okay. Right. okay. Yeah, yeah. Gillen needs an alibi. So that's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, so actually this is, this is a question that I, I didn't expect, but um so you, you said you, you had a lot more, you, you sort of plateaued and you realized you needed to learn more. What about, um, I guess, dropping sword and board, I'm assuming going Florentine, what do you learn from that that you can bring back to board? Anything? Or is it just need to be better at more than one thing? It's probably more about learning how to use your left hand as well, right? That's, right. that's different because that's that translates to other things. That's fair. Not not just two stick because we we hand match a lot and i know that we get a lot of wins off just using the left hand too right well it wasn't it wasn't until i ended up moving to tennessee where i actually broke that plateau okay. um because i would never hand match so if i was armed sword and board i was just done i just pretty much just called dead and was over with it um it wasn't until i started training with zeb when i moved in with him uh, 2011 that was it that long ago really yeah yeah holy cow <laughs> wow june, june july of this year will be 10 years so wow. okay so i what's the advantage of hand matching then like give me the the real simple on that oh for me um hand matching just so when you do get armed because you became lazy or you over underestimated somebody my signature you moves. Have, you still have some confidence, or at least more than what you did initially when you never practiced it, to be able to handle somebody. At that point, everybody in their mind 
already has this this person the lefty i don't know what to do okay even though they have the same advantages it's also just putting reps in right like if you don't use your left hand very often then you can't expect it to win anything well i I subconsciously switched my vape to my left hand (laughs) just thinking about it i was like i should use lefty more (laughs) (laughs) all right so dylan uh no, I was just going to say, I, everybody uh, would talk about different weird little things you can do in mundane life to help train your, by everybody, like the three or four people that I talked to about it. Sorry. The, they would talk about things that you can do in, real, uh, in, your, in your real life, everyday life to try and help train your left hand to do things. And I never did that. I, I just, you didn't brush left-handed for a while? or, or uh, I remember you know. at an early SKBC that I went to, I was talking to one of the sword knights, I'm not going to name who, that I have an immense amount of respect for. I was like, man, I'm, I'm just now starting to switch over to Florentine at the time. Do you have any advice for me? He's like, yeah, you need to start masturbating left-handed. And I laugh. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really good. And he is total deadpan. That's great advice from Sir Delos, isn't it? <laughs> it wasn't Delos. It wasn't <laughs> oh, Delos. okay, okay. The, uh, <laughs> but he's like, he's like, no, I'm serious. You need to start masturbating left-handed. It'll help you out with your fighting. And I find out years later, I was like, hey, I did that thing you said. He's like, oh, you're shitting me. You really did that? I'm like, no. <laughs> the long con. So oh, I don't uh, like. Mm-mm. So, Sir Gillen, uh, when is it? in your your early amp guard career that you decide that you want to start going towards sword or if it didn't manifest that way for you how did it manifest uh well believe it or not i was a pretty i was pretty well a proper flirt the first four years of, of playing the game it was all about the battle game armor new equipment new weapon, you know standard newbie stuff but i, I felt like i was like uh, hyper vigilant in the in prep for battle games and stuff and recruiting people and I was just all over the place for the first four years and we didn't even really give awards out like someone would come through and give a, give us a piece of paper because someone would get a, a hair to to be monarch or something that didn't mean anything there was no broader context for me the first four years we were completely isolated yeah so it yeah. wasn't until about two thousand when um, when I got some people playing that were really good friends and I had the money to actually travel that I realized that there was a bigger game out there, you know? And then once I started to get the lay for the land, it was like, um, you know, I had people like beefy that started playing about that time. Uh, I started playing in 2000. Yeah. Um, we were talking about good friends, but yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my feels. <laughs> there was a, a cat named Merrick, uh, Eddie, who was really great. And, um, and then I had, uh, you know, the, the, the park was always super solid. That's one of the things that made our park amazing is that I came into a park that had, I, I've always been at a park where fighters are better than me. There's at least one or two fighters that have always been on the level or better than me. And I've always been able to climb, you know, uh, to this day, it's that way. And I, I love that. But uh, yeah, it was about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> For those who can it, see, that's gun waving. Like, yep, that's me. that Mister, I beat you to ten just the other day. Almost skunked you. Raised his fucking hand. Uh, you talking about recent stuff? We're talking about past stuff. <laughs> uh, so no, yeah, it was then uh, when I first went out to uh, to see the the wider amp card world. I, I took a bus ride to Clan. A Greyhound to plan in like 98. It was, it took a solid 24 hours 
to get there. Actually, it was more than 24 hours. It was horrific. I got stopped by Border Patrol. Um, like, <laughs> legitimately, the guy, I was asleep in my car uh, or in my seat next to him. And the guy was like, I was really tan because I was like roofing and, and, and doing stuff like that at the time. Oh, so no. I was tan with a tank shirt on. And like, the guy that, that I rode with thought it would be hilarious because I was asleep. Border Patrol came on right as we were going by, like Juarez, and, um, and said, uh, and they're like, you know him? And he was like, no, nah, I don't think he speaks English. And then that was it. <laughs> how, you woke up to how many guns trained on you? <laughs> yeah, dude. The guy, he had the, the clip, you know, flipped open and his hand on his piece. And he was like, sir. And he started speaking Spanish to me. So, of course, I'm like, er? <laughs> four semesters of Spanish prior to that, not knowing anything the guy said still. And uh, yeah, you know, off the bus, search luggage, proof ID, all that business. Jeez. Anyway, uh, yeah, after I went out there and did that, uh, I realized that I got to fight people in my first couple of clans that was like, um, and this is what got me. Like, this is the hook. This I knew it. I mean, I, I was a, totally aware when it happened. The, uh, the first time that I got to see someone that was like the equivalent of Michael Jordan, right, to like a pickup basketball player. And um, you know, you love, you love what you do already. And then you get to see these people at the absolute peak of their game, right. uh, just rolling faces across the dish line. And I get to see Leaf work, Seth work, um, you know, Sir Spin, um, you know, Qualibus, Arthon. I got to see these, these goats, man, just go to work and, and just mop the floor with everybody, even in my vicinity. Um, and then I was, I was just amazed by the fact that you know, you can play pickup basketball all your life and never play against anyone that is in the NBA, right. not let alone like a legend. Right. And like, an, that was what got me. It's like, I can actually throw stick and I can throw down lose, but I was like proud to just be fighting them. You know, I was really happy there. So knowing that that's where the bar got set, then I started looking at the, uh, you know, looking at what the awards, what it took to get the awards and things like that. And that was about the time too, that Chalazar came to play at our park. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he was the one that was instrumental. I mean, I helped him, but like he did all the work uh, to do the, uh, to form the Central Eastern Alliance, which really then kind of made our park center mass for, you know, what would become the, the, the kingdom of Winter's Edge years and years later. But uh, that's when awards started, you know, we started looking at the requirements and what it would take. That's when it really kicked off for me. Okay. Yeah. The way Shalazar tells it, there was a very brief period where we were the principality of Mystic Glade. Um, before we became the Principality of Winter's Edge. It, just because most of us were in office. Hey, right. so tidbit, Shalazar and I started the exact same week. Both of us went to Winter War One. Or I'm sorry, I started one week before him, I think. Winter War One. <laughs> if that's true, man, two paths diverged in a wood, huh? Holy shit. He taught me everything I, don't, uh, I need to know about what not to do in office. <clears throat> right. Um, so, well, hold on, wait, real quick. There is... Um, I have to kill Discord. I'm sorry for anyone who's listening to this at home and checks their phone. We are a real podcast, I swear. Listen, I just forgot. So there, there's also a brief period where while we were part of, I think, Dragonspine, they tried to knight you. Um, and, and I know you've, you've talked about that a little bit. I think, I think even Sir Golan mentioned it really yeah. briefly. Um, but tell us a little bit about that if you could. Yeah, so it was a, gosh, I, I guess it was about a year or so after Salazar started playing. Yeah, it's 2001 that they came. 
Yeah, and so um, uh, Ben, uh, who is uh, Sir Randall, and um, uh, Asriel Jade, who's uh, Amy's wife, um, they came all the way here when we were talking about forming the Central Eastern Alliance. And in part, it was to support us, and in part, it was to, uh, um, uh, to try and convince us not to go, you know, to tell us that we didn't have to go, you know? Right. That they would that they would try and do more because I think he was a monarch at the time. Uh, it was the most amazing uh, uh, trip uh, for me. They came out and stayed. With, they stayed in my bedroom at my mom's house. This is pretty embarrassing for me. They're like, they're like actual adults, and and I'm like moved back in after being out of the house. Moved back in with my parents. This kid's got a lot of Roadhouse posters on his wall. What's up with that? <laughs> they're all Swayze. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I could look at them for a long time though. <laughs> they, they came in and like, it was, um, they, they just did everything. Like they were amazing to us. We, you know, they made us the, the, the infamous like dragon spine belt favors that we still, a lot of us still wear to this day. Uh, yeah. Ben didn't have enough. Uh, Randall didn't have enough. So he sat down um, at my mom's house and like busted out his sewing machine that he toted, you know, however many thousand miles from New Mexico and sewed them right there. And then like taught us how to, 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 to weave chain mail. Um, that was where I first started doing that from. Uh, and of course my knight helped me out a lot after that because Sir Golan's, you know, amazing at everything crafty and including chain mail. And uh, so he taught me that, but um, it, it was uh, that time that I got that when Randall came in, they, they gave me, my defender, uh, and that was when it uh, became real because it wasn't long after that, maybe a couple of years or something. I don't know if you were playing at the time that I uh, that I won my first weapon master, and so then I was called. Uh, I don't know. It's probably like 2004, maybe. I can't Seems remember. About right. I just know I was one of the few times that I stopped at Street at 24. <laughs> 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 Yeah, that that was when you 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 streak broke me into existence. Like that was that was when you you came into being for me. It's when I I was busy looking over you in the line in that Iron Man line. I was like, oh, there's so much soft underbelly. I will get my 21 today. And then that's when the person I wasn't paying attention to, which was you know you, <laughs> half of what you are now. Uh, and you killed me, sir. I think Golan had a great phrase for this uh, last week. He said, uh, newbies don't understand that they're supposed to lose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's one of the most dangerous is, is the newbie who doesn't know. Well, he wasn't a newbie, though. He just, he had one, like, go-to slick shot. And that's what he rolled on me. It was this weird. <laughs> so you picked up two off. more. That way you were able to get the warlord, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was the first time I remember a gun, but. Uh, you know, they wanted to knight me and, um, the, uh, uh, you know, I, and, and, and I was thinking, you know, wow, this is, this is crazy. And of course I, I, you know, I was belted under goal one at the time. And, uh, you know, he called me to let me know, um, that they had approached him about it. And, you know, he told me, you know, he always gave me such sage advice, you know, still to this day, we don't talk as much as we used to, but like still to this day, it's, you know, it, it's always been less about fighting and more about life. And um, he's always been like a really uh, awesome older brother in that way and a uh, super great mentor. But he, he gave me this advice and he told me that it would be, um, you know, he said, you'll, you'll make a good sword knight, but you won't ever be the sword knight that you want to be, that you've told me, you know, because I, I told him the same 
you know, stories that I told you guys, you know, about right. you know, yeah. what, what looked up to and what I wanted to be. And he said, you'll never be that guy because you, you won't have that. You won't have that goal out there to strive for, you know? Um, so, and it was, you know, I, I, I still think to this day that it was like some of the best advice I got because I got that amazing period because I don't know if you guys know, um, it's not fun being a sword knight. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all expectation. You know, it's mm-hmm. like everybody just, you go out and you're supposed to be this, uh, in the, uh, the words of Sir Corbin, um, uh, who is a, a Billy Badass back in the day as well. He, uh, he said, uh, they expect, a, 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 a unstoppable juggernaut of doom. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, <laughs> and that's not what you are, right? I get killed every day by all of you jokers. You know what I mean? Like, every- <laughs> And uh, even even though Jeff is a uh, is a little person in like fifty four states, like he still kills me, and like I have to die to everybody. But it, you're not that, and uh, uh, it's uh, and I wanted to be more like those guys that I idolized. So it was really great advice to be able to uh, have somebody there to kind of keep me in check with with what my goals were, what my standards were. You know, those were my standards. You know, he was just reminding me of my own, my own goals and not to compromise that, uh, it's best decision because when, when you go out as a squire and you're still head hunting the sword knights, um, it's all upside. If you win right. fucking amazing. If you lose, yeah, there's sword knight. You're supposed to lose, but yeah. when you're a sword, knight, it's just all win, you know, <laughs> win or just stomp them, right. Total shutout. Then, uh, you, you not meeting expectations. That's fair. And, and Sir Golwin did talk a lot about setting your own goals. You know, we did, had, yeah. We had talked about box tops and whether or not, you know, Warlord should should be a thing that's required for Sword Knight and, and a lot of stuff there. And he was like, whatever your goal is, go for it. If you want to be a Sword Knight with just your 10 box tops and that's cool in your kingdom, do it. But, you know, for, you know, he had a lot of the my cold dead hands mentality. I think he used those words exactly. Well, he um, did. And the one thing that I really took away from him and... I, I bragged on it then, and I'm going to brag on it again in this episode, is what what Sir Gillen was just saying, he had set an expectation for himself, mm-hmm. and he his friends helped him remember that expectation as he went through. And if that expectation changed, it was an active decision by him to change it in some way. That's not saying that he holds anyone else to that expectation. It's not saying anything else. It's he has decided for himself. This is what I want to do. This is a path I'm going to take. And then he followed it. Yep. It's make lines in the sand. And if you cross them, know that you're, that you're crossing them. Um, I just think it's a really powerful message because a lot of times I hear people say, Oh, well, I heard this one warlord say this or that. And so that's what you have to do. But you don't hear that with any other belt. You don't hear somebody say, well, I have an expectation as a crown knight that other crown knights are going to do this because the other crown knights tell me to fuck off. <laughs> uh, you definitely hear that. I heard that a lot coming up in Neverwinter with serpent belts because they were really hardcore with, uh, with crafting. You know, they wanted yeah. you to, just like, just like a lot of knights will say or have said since, they, they want you to... Um, they want you to win out of kingdom. They want to show that you can win or place out of kingdom, have a, have a showing, at least go out and like show that you're willing to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I don't think I've won a tournament 
out of kingdom. You have those. Did, yeah. Well, yeah. didn't you win one of the Neverwinter ones? You have on your Amped Wiki, you have four Neverwinter Kingdom Weapon Masters. But I think at the time we were technically Neverwinter. Yeah, that so. might be the, the technicality yeah. there. When I say out of kingdom, I'm technically a Neverwinter knight. Like, right, yeah. Gun, gun would be the, the first uh, sword belt in Winter's Edge. I don't Robert. think you can call yourself that. Neverwinter knights, I'm pretty sure, is trademarked. Think of something better. <laughs> well, they had a thing, didn't they? I think Sir Roger had that problem with like domains. Like he got sniped out of the Neverwinter Knights, or maybe it's Silverwater. Uh, mm-hmm. He had the the, the periodic uh, you know, like uh, elements spelled out dot org or something for his park, which was called Silverwater, and uh, he got sniped on that one too. I think. Oh no! <laughs> hey, real well, quick, I think well, that's why their their amped their, their incorporation is Amp Guard of Florida or something like that because of Neverwinter Knights. Um, Coming out the, at the same the time. computer game. Yeah, similar yeah. times, or I don't remember who came first or anything like Thanks, that. Thanks, Wizards but... of the Coast. Right. <laughs> Jerks. <laughs> so, real quick, while we're on your Amped Wiki, um, because we pull this up for everybody and yours it's actually not, has I'm content. I'm up to date, man. I don't, Nobody's I don't know is. Nobody's well, is. I think mine's a blank page. It's great. Well, for, for what it matters here, um, it says under Notable Accomplishments, eight real Orders of the Warrior. <laughs> so, uh, what's, what's that about? Well, I, I have eight real orders of the warrior. <laughs> um, so that I got, I was striving for my triple qual, just like my knight. Um, and uh, uh, he, you know, he wanted the, the, the old school warlord, which is 21, strict 21 in the kingdom tournament. And that's what I wanted. And, you know, when you talk about uh, changing your goals, your standards, right? That's, that's where I changed my standard. Once we moved over to the new system, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a, uh, um, uh, that's that's what we were doing. It was like, okay, the that's not likely at this time. Not not just because of the stout competition, you know, because you know it's Cho Hag who's sitting at nine real orders. Like the guy's more, he's got more weapon masters still to this day. And he hasn't played really in a long time. Yeah. So it's a serious injustice to him. He's not a sword bell, uh, but he was doing that same old school standard too. So he stopped at nine, and then uh, Stinkfoot, Sir Stinkfoot, amazing. He would make an amazing sword knight to this day. Um, I think he's got eight. Um, but again, he's, he, he was going for his triple qual. He never got sword belt, which again is a serious, I mean, that's, those are, those are two knightheads that would be, that would be good kind of retrofitted into the grandfathered in. But anyway, um, shit, I lost my train of thought. I had too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even thinking about it. Shit. What was I going? <laughs> Something about real uh, orders of the warrior. Yeah. Eight real yeah, orders yeah, of the warrior. So yeah, it was at that point that Chris was, you know, Golan was telling me, you know, that it's a, uh, you know, it's going to be really tough to get that, you know, he, he got his, but it was after years and years of like, you know, hard work and getting 21 and more than 21 and just not the right situation. And then, but for tournament wise, they're just not long enough. Uh, even yeah. when we were, uh, you know, two out of three and counting each win and not counting the match win as one for your streak, right. even when we were doing that, uh, it's really tough. Tournaments were, were too small. To, to realistically streak like that. So um, with those two things considered, I, I, I went ahead and said, okay, well, I'll, I will start taking these weapon master wins as, as orders. And I'll consider that to um, into the new system, you know, iron mountains. Uh, I think iron mountains had a big influence on why that was in place in the first place. Um, why we made that change to the tourney wins counting, because the competition at the time or leading up to that change in iron mountains was insane. Like there were every other person was a warlord or sword knight, yeah. Um, and Imhoff and Leroy and um, Guy Thor, Guy Thor. I mean, it was just stacked over there. So like uh, Eggman, you know, all these people. And Eggman wasn't even like at the time. Eggman wasn't even like 
at the level he's at now, right? But yeah. he still makes the percent because uh, he was he would have given anybody in my kingdom a run for the money at that time, and he wasn't even like in the top echelon at that point. Um, and uh, so they they started doing that, and it made sense for them, and it does make sense as well for for us. So I went ahead and and, and kind of compromised there, and but I list it there just to always state that guys like Cho uh, definitely. Uh, outmatched me at the time, you know, to kind of give credit that it's due. You know what I mean? That's fair. I, I can respect that. So transferring from the kind of old system to new brings a different kind of mindset as far as fighting. So uh, let's go with, I guess, gun first. When you're uh, lining up with someone during, let's say, just the top eight where we're typically uh, for the two of three matches, what's the first thing that you think about going into a match with somebody? Um, I try to determine who they are and rank them on where they scale on my... Is it an anime <laughs> scale? Like D to, to, to S, 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 S plus? If they don't rank in the A plus area, I'm not too worried. I'm just like, all right, here's an opener. You're dead. And I, I just rinse and repeat that same thing for whatever reason, nobody catches on that I'm doing two moves over and over and over again. Well, some people until catch I, on. It doesn't mean we can block it, I, but some people catch I, on. <laughs> to a person where we're in the finals and I'm like, all right, that's not going to work again. Right. So I have to really change it up or it, just sell it differently, so to speak. Um, or eliminate their ability to even be mobile. Uh, sometimes people's footwork are just better than mine. I'm kind of lazy. So I take their leg. I'm like, all right, now you can stop all this running around. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. so if I don't care if it's top eight or not, if I'm fighting a guy that's got a lot of hustle like Hersher, uh, you know, I'd be like, screw this. You There's no private problem. I'm going to do what I got to do. You're going to get legged. Sit the fuck down. <laughs> I'm not dealing with some. Some dude that can do backflips, you know what I'm saying? All yeah, hustle, no. but, hustle and heart, no skill. So to kind of, <laughs> like, joking aside, to kind of codify all of that, what it's really doing is when you're walking in, whether you know someone or not, you're taking a moment to assess who they are and the biggest threat you think they pose to you, and then you're eliminating that threat. You're putting yourself back in a position where you're, you know, if you think of it like a scale, you're saying, okay, I'm going to take this away from so the scale's tipping back towards me again. Using Hosh as an example for those that don't know Hosh, he's really, really fast, mobile, energetic, possibly cocained up uh, friend of ours. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's cocained up. I think he's just got Labrador DNA or something. Like he's just very excited. We've got Husky DNA, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right. But yeah, no, you, you kind of label him as, uh, sorry, not to hijack you. He's, he's definitely like a locomotive. Once he's started, you're kind of screwed. There's no stopping it. Oh, yeah. God, I never realized this. Hosh is the juggernaut. Before it gets going. Yeah. The juggernaut for Hosher is a great, a great analogy. Yeah, that right. really is. <laughs> we got to make him a hat, one of the little foam helmets. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I won't. He'll do. He'll wear it. It'll be great. I know. That's why I'm not doing it. So I guess... Same... Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, he'll just add that juggernaut title to his already like, you know, lunchbox tank <laughs> ass mix. Yes. <laughs> so Zeb, uh, same question. Like when you line up in front of somebody, what, what's something you think about like on a mental state 
uh, for tournament fighting? Because it is, to, at least to me, a different mental state than just fighting someone at park, basically. Yeah. It, it is, for you, definitely a different mental state because you could win a lot of tournaments if you could, if you could beat them. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times that you beat me and other warlords and things uh, is pretty embarrassing to the warrior community. My uh, giant uh, four-order the warrior. <laughs> yeah, dude, that speaks to the level of competition at our like, Jeff can smoke a lot of fools out there, and he beats me on the regular. And uh, uh, and in the tournaments, man, you just fold I it. like I can't do tournaments. <laughs> I, I've seen you do a couple where you you hit up the, the like a two stick bracket and just wreck face, and you get points in it, but you never really you never finish getting your head. You never close it. Yeah. Um, no, for me, and this is something that Gun and I talked through uh, for the last orders that he was getting was. Uh, trying to, and this is something we did uh, at uh, at the dojo that I was in uh, when I was a kid, is that um, you once you got to a certain belt rank, you you had to have a notebook, you had a comp book with a page for every person that was in your belt group. Because at that point, the belt there was not that many of them, you know, you know, like green, the greens, browns, it's a green and up uh, in our system. You know, you had a comp book page on them. You know, there was no reason why you shouldn't know exactly what that person leads with you know, how they typically fight, the stuff they typically throw. Um, and that's kind of how I tried to codify it with him is like, you know, this person is, you don't even know them, right? But you know their body type. You know, if, if somebody like Flo walks up to you, um, you're like, okay, I've got to close. This is this is going to be, uh, it's going to be one of those situations where I know I'm going to have to close because this guy probably knows he has range. You know, that's, that's one kind of archetype of a fighter that you would uh, position yourself for. You know, if uh, if you come up against you know some little person like Jeff, you're like you're like okay, this guy's gonna close on me, so I've got to try to find some way to get him out from underneath my nutsack. Uh, so, that I can... <laughs> so you might anticipate a backpedal at that point. So yeah, I always try to archetype fighters, um, and that's something that I've, I've tried to. I think it was really useful to use that same technique from from the dojo to uh, to amp guard. Just try to apply that because you. You know, like everybody that's made that run to a warlord, everybody that's just tried to win a tournament, you you know the players that you got to be. You know the you know where your problems at, where your where your win percentage is less than 50-50. Um, you know, even if it's 60-40 you, you still gotta you still gotta worry about that guy. So you gotta you gotta have a page on that guy. So for the most part, it's it's archetypes. And then when you get into specific fighters in that top eight, which I think is what Jeff asked originally about. In that top eight, you really got to have a page on that guy, uh, that person. You know, you, you got to know what they're going to do to you. Um, you know, as much as uh, I said that person, because I have lost uh, a, a number one fight to a to a woman once, and it was tie-dye. And uh, yes. because, she, because she traced me, and I knew she was a tracer, and, and I just didn't give her enough respect um, mentally. And I rolled in, and I led on her, and she said... <laughs> and traced me and that was <laughs> you gotta worry you gotta have some kind of knowledge about them going into it so with when you when you say um like fighting archetypes is there a i mean is there we asked this to what sir anatole too i believe mm-hmm. give us a few of those fighting archetypes if they exist in a way that can be you know placed into a taxonomy well <clears throat> I think Poster is the is the guy that, that that really gives me the most problem. He's that top tier noob. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. The top tier noob, the guy that 
Um, doesn't have a lot of great shot placement, doesn't have a lot of clubs in the bag, but has just aggression. He's just going to close. He's going to be, you know, you're just trying to, like Gunn's analogy with the locomotive, you just got to get off the tracks, man. You got to work on, your footwork's got to be uh, on uh, on that day to get away from him, to sidestep him. If you, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't like leg leads. Uh, it is kind of a cop out, but you know, sometimes when you got to get the win, you got to get the win. They always called me flow cop out. <laughs> <laughs> at least any tournament I've been with him, there's at least a double leg. Yeah. Where'd you think I learned it from? <laughs> <laughs> double legs are different. Double legs are different. That's a kill. That's a kill combination. Yeah. yeah. That's one less point he has to work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like to I like to leg lead or double leg lead on the first fight in a match because I always do better in the best two out of three uh, when I've got one up going in. I always the, the next fight is always much more relaxed and I can just do what I normally do and kind of fall into muscle memory instead of getting in my head too much about it. So I remember I want you to continue your conversation about archetypes, but I want to touch on one point there. It's a conversation that you and I had many, many, many years back. One of the first tournaments that we went down to in Neverwinter, the, the, everybody's watching, right? Everybody's watching you. And in tournaments, there is definitely a mental game. It is a real thing. Your mental game, the mental game of everyone else that you're going to be fighting that day. And so what you did is you walked into the ring and it was not someone who was a, a top tier fighter in the kingdom, Right. And you smoked them right off the bat. It wasn't overly aggressive. It wasn't overly showy. It wasn't anything. You simply killed them quickly, efficiently in a way that would demoralize everyone else that's watching. Right. And it was for a very specific, I came back and I was like, Hey, you know, you could have done anything you wanted to that person. You could have, you could have stabbed him. You could have slotted him in the shoulder. You know, why did, why did you do that? And the, your words followed me through the rest of my Amp Garb career. You turned to the rest of the crowd and looked back and said, now everyone knows. And then you grabbed your Gatorade and started drinking and watching the rest of the fight, waiting for your next call to go. Because stuff like that is important. It's, it's odd the things that you, that you prep for and the things that you can't prep for, right? But your reputation that day matters. So I just wanted to touch on that headspace question that, that you had kind of brought up there. Yeah, that, that was something that was uh, Chris's tutelage. Like as much as I could, uh, as he could, you know, be into my boneheadedness about Tony Fu. Um, I always, you know, I was always playing, uh, you know, in the moment in the match and I was playing checkers. Chris is playing chess. That's really <laughs> cool. I was like, I'm doing really good. He goes, you know, I, I'm not even scratching the surface of, of whatever Queen's Gambit he's got going on in his brain. <laughs> and uh, he, you know, and that's one of the things he would teach me. That was one of the things that he did a lot was talk about um, the theory on, it's like playing poker with him. He's a great poker player too. And he would talk about, you know, the, I won this tournament or I, more specifically, it's very nuanced. I beat that guy and that guy last night on the ditch line. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I dumped, you know, and to use like pool shark terms, I dumped last <laughs> night with those two guys so that they would have a huge head when they fought me today so that I could run my standard top two, three shot leads and kill them. You know, he was, he had that, it was like a, uh, a Danny ocean thing. You know, it was like, 
you know, I, I saw you coming before you woke up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that That's he kind of operates in some degree, like percentages and things like that um, with openers. Cause he touched on it and I didn't really explore it at the time, but like, he touched on like I know this guy's going to open in this sort of way, so you. Can... He threw that opener on the last five people. Guess what he's going to throw yeah. on you? So working percentages and outsides and stuff like that is really, really clever. So it doesn't surprise me he's good at poker in any way, shape, or form. Well, and uh, poker go... players also wear a lot of wraparound sunglasses. Uh, oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. So Gunn mentioned this earlier. You said it just now. We we, we joke. We joke, and I hear I've heard of the Warlords uh, this month joke about the three shots, two shots, four shots, or something like that. But it, it's true, though, right? I mean, the the more people I talk to, the more they say, I really did, I have three shots that I perfected, and I have a lot of setups for those three shots. The, uh, uh, what, uh, so what are your three shots? No, I'm not going to ask you that. Uh, the <laughs> Well, no, you, you did mention, you know, having clubs in the bag, and I, I did assume that those are shots or openers or, or threats that you can make. Well, the, uh, yeah. There are like, there's two great things, and this is one of the things, this is what got Gunn, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, this is what got Gunn past his plateau, Okay. right? It's very simple things. We were working at the park. It was a slow day. There were only a few of us. It was me, it whittled down to me and uh, Subway, Jay, uh, and Gunn. It was just after he moved up and, and the three of us were fighting and it was, um, gun was just sucking hind tit, man. He was just not winning the fucking match. And, and so Jay and I were explaining that there aren't like 60 block positions, right? You know, and, and we didn't know it at the time, but, uh, potato and some other people have done great videos online on what's called the house guard. Um, and it, that was what it was. It's little concepts like that. Everybody learns in a different way. As soon as we talked to him about, um, you know, lanes and how to like isolate this, you know, your shot potential for them, uh, their shot potential on you is, is here when they're this close and it's here when they're that far away. Uh, and just going, this is guard, this is guard, that's guard, you know, explaining like four basic guard positions that he should be in at any given time. And then that day, I swear to God, he jumped up like, you know, five rungs easy in a day, you know, just from that. And we had been, you know, I had been beating the shit out of him as my roommate for like in my squire for like, I don't know how many months up to that point. And it was that day that it kind of changed. So uh, being able to, to uh, really clearly uh, define and be able to talk about them in the same, using the same terminology, same verbiage was really important for him. And then once it clicked about the house guard, which we didn't know at the time was called house guard or people taught it that way, but uh, that's, a, that's essentially what it was. Yeah. Um, that, uh, and, and that's, that's a club for sure. Being able to, to, to have that kind of defense, but then um, moving into the shots though, uh, you're only going to show, you're only going to throw like 10 shot. There's really only like 10 shot variants I've ever thrown. Right. They all end the same way. They just like Gunn said, they look different coming in, you right. know, and like there's, there's a great set of videos uh, from uh, Sir Spendthrift. Um, Seth had them all worked out. And still to this day, I think the best set of videos for teaching you basic shots uh, are like a video set that him and Brennan did in a parking the garage. garage. Yeah. yeah, I've seen these. Yeah. 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 Jeff, Jeff knows what I'm talking about. And yeah. uh, I point people at those all the time. And all it does is, is it breaks down the shots he's going to throw. And 
he doesn't throw anything but those shots, but like timing, footwork, positioning, um, you know, setup. That's that's it. You know, you you've got you know just like a, a standard game of golf to keep expanding on that analogy. You've only got X number of clubs that'll fit in the bag. Right. You know, there's only like 12, 12, 12 clubs in that amp guard bag. But how many different ways you present those is a uh, uh, is kind of infinite. Okay. Damn. So, I mean, I know that there's, you know, different things can be a, a quote club, but I'm going to keep moving with it. Um, for anybody listening that is wanting to improve, if, if they can only have two clubs in their bag, two, two things that they worked on immediately that you can convey in an audio format, what would those two things be? And we'll start with Warlord Gun because you're making the scared face. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's just what he always looks like. <laughs> Mine, sadly enough, was a dick stab. <laughs> okay, that's one club. Versus a dick stab, because at that point they are terrified. If you land it once, they are terrified. So all you have to do is pump at that direction. Everything goes down. <laughs> now okay. the shoulder back is the next one I do all the time. Yeah. So dick stab, shoulder back are the two I do quite often. All right, Sir yeah. Dylan. No, that's a perfect analogy because like we had this this old cat at, uh, uh, coming up at the dojo and he had two moves when we were point sparring or when we were sparring at all. Mm-hmm. And one was a, a, one was a reverse punch with his, with his good arm, which is a right hand. Right. Mm-hmm. And the other one was a, a front kick to the groin. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't have to necessarily be something like that. Cause um, I do something very similar. Like I throw a uh, sword side wrap with board versus board uh, like sword side cross on uh, low. And then if I go fake it with a, a, a kind of a drop fake towards that, people drop their boards and I go board side up. So it is, again, kind of working different um, quadrants. Uh, Zeb's talked about quadrants before, um, which is simply like if you look at a quarter panel shield or something, so it's uh, throw low left and then come back high right because it's the most drift of your guards that you're going to get, um, things like that. Um, so in... in Actually, you guys touched on something that's kind of to, to the attorney food that we've talked about before is winning that first match is really important because you can have the potential to throw that same shot again and kill them. And it's in our head, but that gives you also a fake. So one of one of the things that Zeb does um, occasionally is he'll throw hard outside wrap and then he'll fake outside. It makes their guard float outward and then kills them on the inside. Um, so this is the kind of chess game that you can play with people as well from a mental game perspective, because the two, the two shots he's throwing are incredibly <laughs> basic shots placed really well and in a really good timing. So again, it's not, it, fighting is not some sort of like, um, I have a perfect shot. It's a perfect setup or a perfect timing more so than that. I feel like. It's, it's all basics. Somebody said it better uh, a long time ago. I, it was somebody else, but I remember Brennan saying it. But um, it, the guys at the, at the very top, uh, you'll find that those are just guys doing the basics extremely well. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's really what it is. And the, the quadrant thing that Jeff was talking about, that's always how I've thought about it in my mind. And I've taught it that way at classes because a lot of people still have quarter paneled shields. And that's a perfect example of looking at the four quadrants that speaks to like general shot creations, like lead creation. Um, 
if, and if you're listening and you and you want to look at lead creation, go to the CG Dojo. Uh, it's a little aged now, but it's still amazing. Potato did this um, great series. Um, I forget what it's called. Do you remember? I don't remember that. I've seen a it's bunch a of those. Where it yeah, has all the leads uh, on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ABA was, and the like AAB or something like that. Well, Box or is that different? It's in the show notes. I'll make sure to send it out to people. That's a drill. Okay. What you're talking yeah. ABA and BAB and like stuff like that. Um, those are drills, but he did a, like a, a lead generator. It was like a fun thing where you did, you gave it, you gave something a silly name. Oh, and I remember you, vaguely seeing this. Yeah, video. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Uh, Brett, I remember we, we, we got through sparring one day and we were watching some of those to try and get some ideas for, you know, mixing it up and new shots. And like uh, Brett had one that I, th- I throw still to this day. He called it the Kate Winslet. And <laughs> But it was a it was a setup for an existing shot. But it was just a setup. But but the setup was the most amazing part. You're still throwing the same spin shot you always threw. But that the quadrant thing speaks to shot creation, lead lead creation. That's that's really where you get to that infinite infinite number of reads. You know, like how how you go from quadrant two to quadrant three or quadrant one to quadrant four. Uh, how you get there is is really the style and the um, the thing that's unique to you. But uh, just understanding that concept as to if you go from like quarter one to quarter two, right, which is still if you look at it on a shield, it's still up top, right? It's, it's left shoulder, right shoulder or right shoulder, left shoulder. And, um, you know, you're going to get a higher yield if you go further away. So if you go one to one to four instead of one to one to two. Right. Shit. Yeah, I don't know. That, that tracks. <laughs> I am still drinking. Okay. <laughs> well, no, so this is this is really good for people listening at home who who have been interested in that or just want to get better at fighting. There's there's sort of two paths. You have the Sir Gillen path where you work on the basics and you you know you sort of identify and, and develop a language for improving your fighting. Um, and then if you want to take the the Warlord Gun path, you can buy a plastic dick, stick it on your fridge, and stab it a couple times a day. And either one is good because you get really good at the dick stabs. Or just or just be really big, throw really hard. <laughs> Be really nice to people, and somehow they have Stockholm syndrome. And so like, <laughs> that is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's so this ties into something that uh, um, Anatole had said earlier, and that is that you have, I think it was Anatole, you have threat locations. You have. It's not that you're developing a shot that threatens the board side hip. It may not be the same shot every single time. But your the the mechanics are, of pulling it off are going to be similar. It's the setups that change for it, and the the difference between someone that's very new and someone that's very experienced is someone who has not just practiced throwing that that threat to the hip. It's someone that has tied that into fakes and openers that work well for them, for their body type, and their. Uh, you're shaking your head. Go. What's going no, on? No, I'm just. I totally agree with you, but I, I think we're getting in the weeds with that. Like that's that's like, you know, you're really getting top level stuff. I think that if anybody that that really needs that advice is listening to this podcast, they should probably listen to a different podcast. But like, <laughs> there are ones specifically yeah, devoted to that. There so. are. Yeah. It's really great. Um, but if if you're a new player, all you're worried about to like simplify all that down, all you're worried about is the next tiny goal that you have. You and, and this is something that Seth always says, uh, Spinthrift, uh, Duke's fan in the SCA, is you just want to suck less. 
that's it. You're playing a game with yourself and you're just trying to make such small, because once you get to that plateau, like the gun was at with the block, you're, t you're, you know, he got lucky and like he had all the other tricks ready to go when he figured out his guard, right? And he was able to make that jump. That's a one in a million to me game. I don't see that game with people like after, you know, one practice and one concept and it clicks and they go up that high. I've never seen that. I'll say I've never seen that before. Yeah. But, but usually it's these painful, tiny incremental uh, games that you get. And that's, that's the suck less. Just you're, you're playing a game against yourself. You're not trying to win. You're just trying to be a better you. And of course it's Seth. So he puts this negative connotation on it. So suck less, <laughs> right? That's that's all it means is you're just trying to, and like, when I got started, I was really lucky to read that um, because we didn't have the online community that we do now. Uh, I was really lucky to get to read that on a page called ampedguardcombat.com, which Sir Corbin ran. And it's ancient. I'm sure it's not, it hasn't existed in decades. No, but it's like, down. It, uh, it was the first place that I understood that people had this fighting logic. They posted drills and things like that. I mean, it was, it predated uh, ESAM, I'm pretty sure. And oh, right, <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> I I may have found it in the Wayback Machine. Hold on, if and, I have, I'm that, gonna link it. That's one of the things that he said, and I was, and I took that to heart. And it was just the stars aligned that I saw that when I got into competitive amp guard. He said, when you're fighting the the next the guy that's killing you all the time, when you're fighting that sword knight, you're not trying to win. The goal is not to win. The goal is to get a block. That's all you're doing. Start with one block. Survive longer. That's right. Mm -hmm. Just, just that's all you can do. Incremental win. The guy you're playing has put in way more reps than you. All you're going to get is a, an incremental win, and you should be super happy with it, right? Because you're in. By that point, you're in the valley of despair, right? <laughs> you know, you're trying to work your way up, uh, you know. <laughs> so, speaking of the valley of despair, um, the which is the the name of my nine inch nails cover band. The uh, you're gonna have to start deliverance on some of these cover, some bands, of these cover bands. What you you plateaued more than once in your your long climb to uh, Sword Knight and yeah. Gun. I know that you did as well. Um, I was plateaued till I moved up. Yeah, right, right. So I was like six order warrior for about eight years. I I think that people start on this journey and think that it's going to be something that they can progress towards at a fairly steady pace. And that's not always the case. What were some of the things that helped you work through that when you were plateaued? Move in with my knight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've and seen that several really times, bad. technically. I plateaued for the six, seven years prior to moving in. And then that first year is when, like he said, I learned that blocking mechanism is where I finally broke it. And then when I went back to Neverwinter is when I won that first turn so to get my I'm going to share a fun generational beltline thing for your beltline, the Abuhu God beltline. Gowen gave the exact same answer. He said to move in with your friends and have them fight with you every <laughs> single day. Oh, God. Well, I mean, even Anatole did, right? Like it wasn't yeah. necessarily move in with your friends, but the whole, like almost everybody has had the, um, we have a core group of four or five people and we fight as often as possible and we fight each other and we're, we may not be exactly the same skill level, but they're going to challenge me every time. Right? Right, right. So you need, you know, enough people around you who want to get better to bring you up as well. 
got to be careful about that though. It's really just finding that group of people that, that have that same goal. Yeah. Cause if, if you have people that just playing the game, just to play the game, they're going to flake off. Yeah. There's but nothing if, wrong with that, but it's not going to help you. No, it's not. And that's, that's the thing about me hunt, head hunting Zeb and forcing to live with him. <laughs> he, he pretty much said, you're going to have to live closer to be my squire. And then literally like a week later, I moved in. He just showed <laughs> up on the doorstep. <laughs> so he, he pretty much said no until I, I was like, all right, I'm packed. I'm, I'm in your, at your door. It, that was a weird confluence of events because I had already like lined. I was I, I didn't have a squire at the time, and I had lined somebody up, a good friend of mine. We we fought constantly. He was at my house constantly, and I was like, "Yeah, dude, I think I think we'll do that. We'll you know we'll we'll get into that night squire relationship, right?" And um, and then when I ran into Gun again after years, because you were coming back after a stint just not playing, yep. And uh, it's so. Weird. He's, he he showed up at the event. I'm like, dude, I remember you. You are big now. And Shalzar <laughs> didn't even remember me. Yeah. I was like, what's up, Shalzar? He's like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you eat. Yeah. <laughs> and Gun was like straight up. He said, Hey, look, I want to be a sword knight. I'm back in. I want to do it. I want to do it right. You're the guy, and uh, I'm gonna be your squire. And I said, Look, I've already got it worked out. And so the guy, you would have to be like right in my backyard before that something can work because long distance is tough my night was exceptional i felt like so he made it work but like i'm not exceptional in that way so you're gonna need to be in my backyard and then yeah like no shit like uh probably two months or three months later yeah. you were he was well, i was moving his stuff into my spare bedroom <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an aggressive pitch, but I'm not going to dare throw stones at somebody that lives with their knight. So we're all good here. So, Sir Gillen, uh, what about you? What What are some of the things that, or tools that you have used to overcome the? Uh, what can What can be kind of like a very depressing plateau sometimes uh, that we all go through? Uh, uh, okay, so I just. Genuinely, I thought about this. I've thought about this question, honestly. And I just love fighting. Like I love good, fair, honest competition. Like that sounds really cliche, but I do. And so I don't, I never minded losing. I always just went into it with super low expectations for myself. And I always, you know, it was like happy when I won, happy when I got to fight. You know what I mean? And so for me, I was less analytical than I should have been to be efficient about learning. Uh, my knight would tell me lots of things, you know, Golan would tell me all the things I needed to know of which I would pay attention to maybe one, um, which wouldn't be enough. And um, I would, uh, and I would just bang my head against it. Dude, I just put in so many reps. It was ridiculous. Like my, my shoulders, and my elbows are, are absolutely destroyed at, at <laughs> like it's painful doing a lot of things. And uh, it's because I just put in the reps and I just bang, I banged my head against the wall. It was like, a, I was like farming gold. I wasn't good. I wasn't doing dungeons. I was great I, at farming gold. I, know, <laughs> I just, uh, I was just like, you know, like uh, gathering herbs, right. And, and put them on the AH, right. That was, that was me. I, I was just constantly getting reps in 
And I would bang my head against it and learn in such small increments, you know, to get past it. But once I got uh, to where I was past that tournament problem that I had, I had a, a big issue where I couldn't get out of my head. You know, like when you're going to give um, a speech or when you're going to speak in front of people, for me, it's very, um, it's very troubling. And I get in my head about it. And the closer I get to, to, to doing that, you know, like say for work, you know, uh, I have to speak to a lot of clients. And the closer I get to doing that, the more intense the anxiety gets. And that's the way turning through was. So I just had to try different things uh, until I got it right. So I failed at it a lot. I placed second in as many Weapon Masters as Golan has won. Right? <laughs> I placed second in, okay? Um, maybe more at this point, because he stopped at one point and I kept going. And, I, and even after a sword night, I still finished second a lot. Uh, it's totally okay, but uh, for like that, I just had to try as many permutations as I could. I wish I had a good answer for how to codify that and logically work through it. Um, for me, with uh, some specific plateau I had uh, was turning food. And what I did was I got out of my head by just fighting. I did nothing but ditch during the tournament. I would find one or two people and I would say, I'm going to, I'm just going to fight in my off time. I'm never yeah. going to stop. And, the, and that, that's what exactly what I did to the T when I got my last, my last win for my 10th. Uh, I beat Chris by not, well, okay, that time I beat Chris by a lot, but sorry, it was the time before that. The, the ninth, my ninth order, I did nothing but fight on the sideline and I got out of my head, so. Um, what you said is, is, <clears throat> is, a, is a slightly, varied version of what Sir Anatole said. Um, and I, I think it boils down to changing your, uh, he called it your language of success, right? So where, you know, if you won, great, you won. If you lost, hey, it's still awesome that you got to fight. Um, for Anatole, that is that is what he means by changing your language of success. You know, changing the, the, the win for the day from win all the fights to block two every time or get as many blocks in as you can, that kind of thing. So I think that is... Um, I mean, that advice is transferred from several people. So, I mean, I think it's great advice. Um, but bringing it back to, you know, getting stuck in your head and turny foo and everything else, this is a problem I have currently right now with disc golf because it's about the only thing we can do socially distance um, that is, you know, reasonable. Um, but I get stuck in my head and uh, and Teflon here will yell, you know, don't think, just throw. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, fucking, I'll just yeah, yeet the Frisbee. Sometimes it works. Is, you know. is that what's going on? I just thought he was bad at disc golf. <laughs> I, I have my days. <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm totally there with you. I, I can't take Anatole's super positive uh, focus on that. Right. But I, I was always able to, to kind of re, to shift the way that I was thinking about it. Like, People look at it almost like a video game sometimes, I feel, where they go in like, I got to win. I got to win. If I'm not winning, if I'm not landing the skill shot, I'm not getting any better. And we're not a video game. We're, we share some things in common, right? But you learn just as much losing as you do winning. And you honestly I, I, learn more by losing than you do winning. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And one of the things I picked up from Sir Gillen is uh, we would travel somewhere and I would be fighting. And I would go to get some waters. Like, hey, man, are you seeing anything? He's like, yeah, you're just trying to win too much, man. Yeah. And it was because it was more important for me to try and beat this knight in some random kingdom that we had gone to rather than 
focusing, but because I was throwing almost the same shot over and over again, because they hadn't seen it, didn't have an answer for it or whatever, right? Because we were from different neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. When what I should have been doing is picking apart what they were doing well against me right. and how I could bring that back to my kingdom and wreck with it. Um, so don't be afraid to lose. Um, yeah, you don't have to have that, that hyper-positive mindset that Sir Anatole has. I Though it is helpful. I physically can. I have depression and anxiety. I take fucking Lexapro. But like, <laughs> it's still a good... Like you've got to have it up there that it's it is a an alternative to being the best is getting better, um, and however you internalize that, I think is fine. Well, I, th- I think uh, the big obstacle for a lot of people is they they beat themselves up when they do lose instead yeah. of trying to translate it into a learning experience, like you guys are ex- explaining. And mm-hmm. I I ended up for a long time beating myself up, like I didn't express it outwardly, but internally. If I lost a match, especially first round in tournament, I pretty much lost the whole tournament, even though I could still probably place in the rest and still be top three. Yeah, that's um, that's that. Um, uh, Golan talked about that a little bit where it's like you walk in and you've got to think that you've won like the moment you step in. Like I've beaten every guy here in my head before we started this tourney. I called it the Kanye West mindset. But in the, in the <laughs> tournament, in the tournament that Gunn won to get his warlord. I fought him in one of the top eights and I beat him in the first match and he stepped back and smiled to me. And I said, what's so funny? He said, you're not going to win another match. Cause he knew that was it. I had thrown my shot. He saw, he saw who I was. That was a little mental Kung Fu too. That's that's like a a tennis move, you know, where, where you're like, you just got bested, but you're grinning. Like you didn't just get bested and you totally meant for that to happen. Right. Right. That, that's just the right mental fuck you to say, uh, to say, all right, he, he, he beat me. I didn't want him to beat me, but I'm going to, I'm going to play this really cool right now and see if I can get in his head. No, it yeah. worked. I was like, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> What's the thing you do to Justin sometimes in tourneys where you mess with him a little bit? Oh, so patches, Justin, uh, when I'm walking, <laughs> when I'm walking out <laughs> onto the field, Messing with patches is a national pastime. It is, it is, dude. When when we're going out into a match in a tournament, I will do nothing but talk about how well he's been doing against me. It's like, man, you know, before we even get into the ring, I was like, I was like, I'm worried about Florentine, man. I I think that you and I are going to be second (laughs) match in there, and you've been smoking me lately. And then the whole time I'm heading out, uh, I was like, hey, those thirty sixes, you're using thirty sixes, right? Those aren't forties or anything you're using on me. And then I immediately stab him. I jackstab him as hard as I can in the chest. And you can see the expression drained from his face because he knows that I've done it again. He knows exactly <laughs> what's happened. The, uh, no, a lot of us have games like that. Was, we've known each other for a long time, too. You're fighting the person more than the style that they're fighting. That, that's where that fight book comes in, comes in so much handy because it, it's so nuanced to, like, to, to try and fight Jeff you know, or to fight Flo. These are guys that are at my park and have been at my park for a very long time. So they, they definitely have like, you know, cha- entire chapters in my fight book about what they could potentially do to me. You know, any, anywhere from the most simple basic shot that I know they throw really well to telling me my shoes untied and then stabbing I me. I would <laughs> never do something like that. That happened in the tournament, y'all. No, I did it to E. The, that, the E is probably the best one that I ever done it to. Cause like we were in the middle of like a uh, like jugging or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was lined out. We're next. We're next to the boundary, 
And I go, hey, man, your shoe's untied. This is probably the first or second time I've met him, I think, at this time. And he goes, what? And brings both swords pointed directly outwards and looks down at his feet. And I stab the ever-loving piss out of him. And he he's like... I can't believe that happened. And I think Zeb's <laughs> over in the other corner and he's fallen down laughing because he saw the whole thing happen. <laughs> and then Eve realizes that other people have seen it and gets really embarrassed and kind of walks and just kind of walks. Snoopy walks over to the, or Charlie Brown walks over to the other end and like quits for a couple minutes. <laughs> Let's not be nice to my page because he wouldn't understand that. But, um, no, you had known him for a long time at this point. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've had a few different nights on the show. We've talked to them about their relationship with their squires. And you guys mentioned that you lived together for a while. What for, 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 for sword? For sword. Um, what do you, what's a night squire relationship for that? look like like you guys you guys fought a lot you guys analyzed it. you you sometimes filmed uh your your findings so you could talk about it but you also do all of that with your friends and your friends obviously aren't in your your belted line so what was it that kind of drew you two to it and what do you think makes for a strong bond between a knight and a squire uh going for sword belt gun <laughs> Gun already answered this. He said he moved in with you. Um. <laughs> well, for me, uh, for me, I was just trying not to fuck it up. That's what it felt like. So, but um, it was. Uh, I think for both of us, uh, not to get like too real, but for both of us, it was really about uh, just the mundane day to day, being able to keep each other going because you know we were full on adults going through some difficult stuff in our personal lives. And uh, it was more just about being, um, knowing that someone always had your back. It's weird that uh, that weird strap of leather around your belt, you know, uh, you know that, that squire's belt can do that. But it, Chris did that for me. I always knew I had somebody in my corner, whether it was in amp guard or out. Uh, they were always gonna shoot straight with me. They were always gonna, I knew he always had my best interests. Uh, at heart, you know, it was, there was never any like political maneuvering or anything. It was just, it was just, I've got somebody behind me ha helping me out period. And he did that for me as much as I, I feel like I tried to do that for him. Yeah. And so that was, it enabled us to keep going in amp guard because we were able to stay sane in mundane life. That's really, I mean, it's, that's kind of cheesy. Does that, that, that I mean, sound about right? In the romantic way, that's definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we kept each other afloat and we, we pushed it positively through our fighting. Yeah. And it, that, was, that was our release with the other stress that we had in our life. And yeah, I think that's a, that's also like a really good roommate. <laughs> you know, yeah, right, right. But it no, just I, so happened to work out that way. But with, with Amp Guard practice, it was just a, you know, I'm, I'm in bed sleeping in and he, you know, yanks me out of bed. Uh, by the foot and says, let's go fight. This really you know, happened. He feels, yeah. like it, he feels like it on days. He feels like fighting on days. I don't and vice versa. And so that kind of doubled our yield for the, the, the total number of, of reps that we got in. And then try, I tried as a knight, I tried to, to play to his weaknesses and know that, you know, Hey, you're losing like this. So this is what I'm going to throw at you. 
I'm going to fight like the guys that are beating you. So I've tried at times to emulate the things that he was losing to, um, to try and help. We, and we were really specific about each other's fights too. Like we would, I would watch all of my company bros fights and try to help, but like uh, gun, especially. So, you know, we would try to be very specific about watching our fights and, you know, giving each other pointers on it, do things to help win weapon masters. Like, the godforsaken pole bracket, you know, where you've got great weapon and you know you've got to get points there. Or archery. Uh, how many times did we fire arrows through our house, you know, to when it was raining outside or oh, something to, to try and test arrows to, <laughs> to get the straight flying arrow? Yeah. I <laughs> remember that. Bathroom, through the kitchen, like through the dining room, through the kitchen, through the garage to the opposite wall. <laughs> <laughs> We broke things. Yeah. <laughs> if you weren't good at fixing drywall before. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we had a nice love seat that Hosher broke in quite often. Because <laughs> <laughs> Hosher's a big guy yes. and sitting down on it and standing up on yeah. it will break it in yeah. over time. Yeah, that's, and that's, 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 that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but no, so this is why I think that this is really good for people to hear because again, sword whether fair or unfair is treated differently than the other belts and your answer wasn't oh we went out and and fought 24 hours a day seven days a week or uh we we analyzed film you know at least three times a day your answer your first answer to this was we were just there for one another you know if if we needed to talk we talked uh we were we were friends we were we we had a relationship where the other person was going to be there for us no matter what. Then, then after that, we pushed each other to fight even if we didn't feel like it. That, that's where the practice part came in. That's where your reps came in. Um, yeah. But uh, I think it's important f- for people to realize all of, all of the knighthoods are going to be like that, right? Don't, you can't hold sword to this different standard in, in that way. This is just, this is defining the relationship, I think, uh, of a good knight squire relationship not just a good sword relationship right you can't hold sword to that standard it, it it's not fair to certainly not to the to the sword belt but to the other belts as well warlord on the other hand <laughs> well it's the same thing now well, right? old school warlord, warlord yeah right yeah okay that's, that's a good differentiation to make like our standard was always what chris what quick chris, chris actually got to what golden actually got to that no one else in Neverwinter, Winter's Edge has gotten to. And that's that that magic number, you know, 21 for a Kingdom Mobile tournament. And that's that's next level stuff. Chris has always been next level. Um, Chohag was always really amazing and Pat too. Uh, but none of us got there. You know, that's, that's what it boils down to. It, it's a, it's a, um, a marathon, you know? It's not a, it's not a sprint. You, you, you might be good on a day, but you're not good on a career like like chris's you know that's that's a big that's big time stuff and maybe that's a you know that's something that's come up recently that is uh that's kind of troubling too is like how they want to adjust that and i've thought a lot about you know how they want to adjust that why you know and, and a, lot, a lot of people get there uh i like the old system where where you had sword knights but then you had warlords right the the, the joke yeah when i was coming up was like all right we're gonna go eat where are we going to eat? And then, and then the warlords didn't like that. So they go, okay, just sword knights. Where, where are we going to eat? Okay. They don't like that either. All right. Just the warlords. 
(laughs) (laughs) That was always the the joke, right? Um, But yeah, I I like the old system because there's a lot of guys that could be really great sword knights, but um, that aren't those. What's the Gary Oldman line from Fifth Element? Died in the wool. Died in the wool. Those guys, that's that's Chris, man. I, I I still to this day aspire to that level. The we talked a little bit earlier about new people and focusing on some some different things. We discussed quadrants and things like that. But a lot of people in our game aren't new people. I think that the tenure for the game when they did the poll was somewhere around three years, three, four years. Yeah, they either they, they make it to three years and they drop on average. So if you pass three years, you're kind of stuck, apparently. At the three-year mark, we end up with a lot of people that are somewhere between second and, let's say, fifth order of the warrior. Or if you were to, to rank fighters and kingdoms into sort of a lower tier, a mid-tier, and a high tier, mid-tier is going to be where most of the fighters in your kingdom land. Do you have any advice for someone that is a, in the example that I'm using, what we'd call a mid-tier fighter? Not You're not challenging some of the best people in your kingdom, and you you can pretty easily beat a group of people uh, as well. You're trying to push into the top eight cut, basically. Yeah, you're trying to make it into those top eights every single time. Do you have any advice? And I, I ask this to you guys because a lot of your, your coming up, your training, the things that you passed on to your park were uh were technique were drills were were things like that uh videos that that you watched and we discussed some of them earlier what are some let me let me rephrase my question into something that's maybe a little bit more coherent what are some skills that you see people in that area lacking and what do you think they could do to fix it um well, it's, it's really determining on what they're, what they want out of the game. If they're just wanting to play and have fun, then pushing them to go for tournaments and be top, top eight is not their end game. Then pushing them that direction and inevitably, in my opinion, is going to push them out of the game because there's a lot of, lot of resources that you're going to have to push in and time that you're going to want to put in sacrifices that you're going to have to make. To, to get to those goals. I traveled all the way to the East or West Coast. I was actually in Alaska as well, uh, fought different areas. And a lot of people don't have that funding and they don't want to put that kind of time. In. So right. they're wanting that they can stay at the mid-tier, be competitive in their kingdom. So it's really, to me, what do they want out of the game? Because striving for sore night for some, it's going to burn them out. Because it's getting yeah. second place, third place so many times. It's just prolonging the next tournament the next six months to try to get it again. And if you didn't put that work in at that point, you, you're just going to end up in the same spot again. Um, it's, it's like I think what's going to say is you got to manage your expectations when you're at the mid-level, when you're in that valley of despair, <laughs> which is <laughs> depending on where you're at, could Jeff start at four? Or could, you know, like Beefy start at five, you know, guys that are really amazing fighters that are at parks where they can't, you got to pay the iron price for everything that you get, you know, um, you got to manage expectations too. You can't, um, you can't expect to get the W uh, in the next tournament. You got to get the next, uh, the next kill. You got to beat that next guy. You know, I talk about the, the fight journal. That was big for me as a concept, you know, and uh, trying to just, 
manage expectation, get the next block, suck less. You know, that's it. It's incremental gains. When you get, when you get to the valley of despair, it's incremental gains. You got to manage expectations. You, you, you know, I'm not going to get this W, but I'm going to get the next block. And it's, it's a grind at that point. <laughs> this is, I'm going to sum up everything that Sir Gillen just now said. You're not an athlete. No. Uh, well, okay. Yes. That's absolutely what he said. I was going to go. exactly what he fucking said. I was going to go a different, different route because when he said you got to pay the iron price, it reminded me of something. Sword belt <laughs> is not a pit. Sword belt is a ladder. Many who try to climb it fail and never get to try again. The fall breaks them. And some are given the chance to climb, but they refuse. They cling to the realm or the gods or love illusions. Only the ladder is real. The climb is all that there is. That's a beautiful poem that you wrote. You should qual that. <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> It's, 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 it, it's, uh, I, part of me always looks at sword belt and goes, man, there's not a lot of sword belts. And, uh, there's a lot of guys that are really freaking good that, uh, that really kind of deserve to be a sword belt. I mean, um, I'm looking at Jeff like square in the ocular cavities right now <laughs> because he's as good a teacher, uh, as a lot of people that I know. And, yeah. um, and he, in that way, he would make a great sword belt. But it's the, it's the path to force him to be a better version of himself that is ahead of him, right? It's, it's to show him what he can do. It's about him. It's about any individual. And for me, I, I never want to like let go of the standards that it took for me to get there because I want that for other people. You know, like I want Flo to realize that he can't eat fast food three times a day and be a warlord. You know, like I want, I want Jeff to realize that, that he, he has to take it seriously sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Holding up Flo's McDonald's cup. That, that you got to take it seriously sometimes, you know, to get there because it's, it's putting yourself in the right headspace to do it. Cause that's the only thing stopping him. Right. It's that path to get there. It's not getting there that matters. It's that you pushed yourself to do some things that you did not completely believe you could do. And that was me, like after umpteenth losses, you know, after traveling and trying and losing, um, my knight never let me have it, man. He never, he never, he could have like, he could have just slipped one block and said, oh, you got me. But he never did that, man. And that made me understand that I was capable of so much more. And it's that part of Warlord and, and Sword Knight that makes me go, man, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to compromise that standard for my friends because they are better than what they are right now. They're capable of so much more and they don't even realize it. And I want them to realize it. I told Jarek um, Chuck something in a tournament a long time ago. You know, he was like, hey man, I just need one more, one more win and I got my next order. Um, and I said, I said, look, man, I'm not giving that to you, bro. Even if you're going to give me the next two matches in this set, there's no way I'm going to give that to you. And someday you're going to be a sword knight and you're going to realize why that's important. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and, you know, like to this day, he's not sword knight yet, but he's a lot further than he was. And I like to think that's because he, uh, because he had to try a lot harder and push himself a lot further, uh, to get that next order. Cause I wasn't fucking giving it to him. That tracks. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Gun said me neither. So Chuck the Gauntlet's throne. <laughs> so um, you more or less answered it, but I want to go ahead and put it directly to you. Um, what do you think about uh, sword knights who are only regional and the fact that like they didn't travel, they didn't really show themselves in other kingdoms or something like that, where they have been produced solely in their kingdom and they are of the best in their kingdom and because they've earned the wins, they got the box tops and things like that. No, I, I think that's, um, that's just your own, you know, that's your standard, man. Our standard was different because we can't, we come from a pedigree where, uh, where that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Simply put, and I'm sorry, I'm pretty drunk at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I've been steady drinking, drinking whiskey. Like I, that's, yeah. God, this would uh, be the podcast we should start doing video on. <laughs> Damn it. We had the Thunderhammer brew in the fridge and we well, forgot I'm to get watching it out. them turn darker shades of red as we go. <laughs> gun gun now matches the red that's on his tunic. And if you turn your head yeah, look how red Zeb's ears are. <laughs> They're also the same shade of red. And and for those for those at home listening, yes, this is how we have to get to talk to one another just on a normal basis. <laughs> you know, when we're at work, this is pretty much our day. Oh God, it can't be. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we're at about the hour and a half mark, um, and you're reasonably toasted. So I think now is as good a time as any for story time. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Story time. All right. So this is a thing we do on every podcast. Um, we'll give you a minute to prepare, you know, think of your, your favorite moment in Amthgard, goofy story. Um, we're going to ask that you, you know, think about the statute of limitations. Um, you know, don't incriminate yourselves, but beyond that, what's your, what's your craziest, goofiest, whatever Amthgard story that you've got. And we'll start with Gun because he looks positively serene right now, and I can't tell if he's awake. Oh, he smiled. I'm just aging, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that thing you said was super, super. No, rich. he was holding so fucking still. I am worried that the Zoom call disconnected. That I was like, oh no, we lost him. Oh no, he moved. Okay. So I actually, before you That's go, Gun. Lucas, come on, man. That's racist. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy you a little bit of time here, uh, Gun, because I want to share a story that about you that I don't know if your knight knows. So, Gillen told a story earlier about the very first time he went to Clan, and he got pulled over. Uh, he got stopped by Border Patrol. I, what he may not know is that the very first time that Gun and I went to Clan, we were in a car together. We got stopped by Border Patrol as well. The other group that was driving with us, because we were in a, a motorcade, carpool, whatever you want to call it, also got stopped. The people in that car were three white middle-aged men, and they had to take everything out of their car. All of the funny swords, all of everything, because they, they, the, the Border Patrol didn't know what was going on, right? So they thought that this was some kind of elaborate drug smuggling ring. We get pulled over. And we get pulled over first, and Gun is asleep beside me in the car. And the guy goes, "Hey, is uh your is your friend there American?" I said, uh, "I said, yeah, he's he's uh he's half Korean." He goes, "Oh, you speak English?" Yeah. So if I wake him up, he's going to be able to say hello in English. Yeah. Okay, you boys have a good day. We drive on, and we find out that Sir Golan, Sir Stinkfoot. And uh, who, uh, Bill, uh, what's Bill's name? Decibel. Decibel, Decibel. yeah. And a, and a couple of other people all get Decibel. It's a play on words. Yeah, I, I, thought it. It was, I thought it was Decibel also, I'm not going to lie. All the, 
All they may them, call it something else, but that's exactly what he's trying going for. Like, all of them on. get stopped, pulled over, and have to go through this big long thing. And I'm sharing the story with Gunn when he wakes up. As I came in, we got stopped by Border Patrol. He's like, "I didn't get shot." Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so, Gunn, uh, what story do you have for us? Do you? I know you, there's a. I, I can think of a couple that you could tell. That aren't incriminating. <laughs> well, they're incriminating, but those people are already in jail. So, <laughs> and his speech there. Yeah. Um, you know, um, shoot. Tell us about your you for a time when you were younger. You were getting into Amp Guard. Lived in a compound. Um, I can say World of Warcraft saved my life. <laughs> so unpack that for oh, me. God. Because I've heard so many people say the opposite. Unpack that for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I was in the compound. Uh, the company I was in was Blackstar at the time. And there was like six of us living in the house. Um, at that point, uh, they wanted me to be the prodigy because I was the top stick in our area at the time. And their, their main thing was I needed to learn whatever the triads had and teach it to the rest of them. All right. You were the so spy. I, I pretty much at the time. Uh, and then one day we, we had organized days that we cooked food and we had to eat with the, with the company or household at the time. And I was in the middle of a, Molten Core Raid, and we're about to fight Ragnarok. Ragnaros? Ragnaros, the yeah, Fire Lord, but yeah, it's fine. Ragnarok is what my people do. <laughs> <laughs> Ragnaros is the one that's like, too soon, Executus, and then he hits you with a big hammer. Well, we're starting that engagement, and then I got DC. I was like, what's happening? <laughs> I find out that they pulled the Ethernet cable to my my computer, and because uh, they were like, "It's time to eat," I was like, "You got to be shitty." So I <laughs> I quit the company at that point. Like like that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. They could anything else but kill that raid for me because I was at that point next in line to get the mage blade. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. So okay, how did fair. that end up saving your life? Um, because. Me quitting the company within the next couple months, the company was arrested for kidnapping and bank robbery. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> they, they, the, the crazy part was is they ended up extorting one of their most loyal members in the company because they found out that they were well off. Not rich, but well off. See, so for they, those who, who can't see what we're doing, I just grabbed a Black Star sign out of uh, Flo's garage, and now I'm worried that it was evidence. <laughs> um, should I, like, wipe the fingerprints? What What's the deal? No, no, this Don't is worry. a long time. Oh, right oh okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they they all ended up getting arrested. They, they tried to extort that one uh, company member through ATMs. They wanted 200 thousand dollars I was like, you understand they freeze it after a certain amount, right? Um, <laughs> they, ended up, they ended up letting go of the company member's fiance at the time. And uh, 
that's how they ended up getting caught because she just pulled the hood off of her head and read the license plate on the vehicle and they just went to the person's house. Jesus. <laughs> so, but they, the thing is that they never would have done the kidnapping. They would have got, got away with uh, robbing the bank of Valdosta and the dominoes that they worked at. <laughs> <laughs> Where they was work? <laughs> so yeah, they, they me, robbed the place. Me, they quitting the, me quitting the company made it so I was never tied to that whole situation because pretty much everybody that was in the Georgia region went to prison. Jesus. I mean, okay, first off, as a fat dude, this was in what, 2002, 2000, early 2000s, I'm taking it? Eight, 2008. Okay, so this is before Domino's fixed their formula. Their pizza sucks shit. Who robs a Domino's? <laughs> well, I mean, they couldn't have got a lot of money. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Their pizza sucked ass. Well, like that's they, why they had to go somewhere else to rob, to rob the bank. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they started with the Domino's. Two of them actually worked at the Domino's, so they knew the information to the safe. Oh right. my god. So that was it. The deposit money went in for the night, and they they stole that. All the thirty bucks. Also, bank of Belt also was such a hole in the wall place. I didn't even know it existed until it came up on their their spreadsheet of violations <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Jesus Christ. sir uh danzig you gotta uh, <laughs> you got a story you want to share <laughs> i have the worst covid <laughs> no i actually like your haircut but the way you had it swept forward was straight up dan <laughs> got me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I've got uh, like so many stories, but I think the one that's that's let's say for work is um, <laughs> is uh, okay. So for a long time, I played at a park called Mystic Glade in Knoxville proper, and then after we we killed that park because we traveled constantly and we were never there. We folded into a park called Radiant Valley, which is what we are to this day. Mm -hmm. But originally, Radiant Valley met at a park in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which is the secret city where they, you know, did the Manhattan Project and all that. Yeah. They, uh, the park that we met at was on a corner. It was, um, uh, so anybody heckling us, because we were there every week, of course, uh, they had like two full turns right two full straightaway let's just say uh to heckle us from their car um and it would happen constantly sometimes some days especially like in the summer kids weren't in school they were taking daddy's car for a drive and they would just <laughs> heckle us. um so people on blow on the totem pole socially would give the the dregs at amp guard a hard time and i was i've always been an older player like a senior player at the parks and I would always tell the kids not to engage with them, you know, uh, because it doesn't matter what they do. We're the people that are identifiable. We're always there. Don't engage with them. You know, there's some terrible things that have happened. Don't engage. I would always tell them that in good faith and honestly, just trying to keep them out of trouble and keep them from, you know, like uh, getting these people, you know, I don't know what they were going to do to them. But anyway, so one day it's, it's no different than normal. Uh, there's, there's kids going by and there's a car that goes by and then makes a turn and hits us on two straightaways and they're heckling us from their car. And I'm like, look, you guys, you can't pay attention to that stuff. 
But I was like really on edge that day anyway. The first car went by and I was okay, right? And I told them, I was like, guys, listen, you know, I was really calm and collected. And I said, don't, don't engage. That's what they want. You know, they, they want to be out here doing this, but they're not brave enough. I would give them whatever they needed, right? Yeah. Right. But mm-hmm. the second car that day, <laughs> they made it through one straightaway heckling us. It was especially bad. And, um, and then the second straightaway, they were still yelling and I lost it. And I said, and I started yelling at him. I was like, turn daddy's car around you assholes. Come back here and tell me what you're talking about. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> obscenities, but they actually stopped. They actually turned into the parking lot. So I'm running at that point. I'm leaving an entire park of people behind me and I turn and I'm just running and I'm stripping gear off and I'm running at this car for what could only be at best high school kids. Um, and I'm in my thirties at that time and <laughs> I'm just running at full speed. And I'm thinking about how I'm going to handle these four jokers that are getting out of this car and I'm just running and I jump the fence in, you know, like a, a, a leap. Um, and, and I'm just coming at it. And, and they see me and they've got this intent, like they're going to, they're going to fuck me up. And I'm like, cool, let's do this. I fight every week. Let's see what you do. Right. And, and about the time I jump the fence, they go, oh shit, get in, get in, get in, go, let's go, let's go. And they turn the car around. They, they jump in real quick. A guy in the back seat's barely got his door closed and they back out real quick and they keep going. And I'm like, and I'm just screaming at him. Like, yeah, motherfuckers, you didn't want none of this. And I'm <laughs> screaming. And I'm thinking, these guys are so intimidated by my war face, right? Like, <laughs> metal jacket style. They're so intimidated by me that they didn't want any of me, the four of them. And I'm like, fuck you. And I'm screaming at him as they drive off. And I turn around and the entire park is standing right behind me. <laughs> There's at least there's at least 20 people standing behind me. So like, it was hilarious. And like, uh, you know, I, I turned around and I kind of like, oh, <laughs> it was the 30 people that were coming at him, you know? So, like, that's the quintessential, like, um, you know, little brother mentality. Like you, you, you can't, I can mess with my little brother, but you can't mess with my little brother, you know? Like, that's what that was. And that's, I love that story because it's it's really like these uh, these you know this this ragtag band of people that have just happened upon AmpGuard and are together for different reasons, but they're backing each other up. It's not what you should do for anybody listening. You should, <laughs> but you if you have the, to, you should do the first thing I said and ignore them because it doesn't matter when they go tell the cops. They're going to be able to quickly identify the people. Uh, dressed really dumb that are there every week and and vilify them, you know what I mean? Uh, so don't do that thing. But I love that that even the people that disliked me, which I'm sure there were many at the <laughs> point, um, they were still there too. There wasn't a soul left in the dust. Everybody was behind me. Uh, so I really love that that story as a kind of a wholesome, safer work story to tell. <laughs> yeah, that that tracks. I I like that. Um... So before we we roll out with the intro, do you guys have anything you want to plug? You are the last uh, the last on our Sword Night month, and then I think we're moving to Serpent. 
No, crown. no, we, we were going to do crown next because yeah. it'll be boring and we want to put some exciting belts after it. Oh my God. Okay. Well, <laughs> is there anything cool that you guys want to plug or anything like that or just shout out what you're working on or is that it? <laughs> I thought it froze again. <laughs> no, well, that's that's perfectly that, fine. That's then. just Gun's face. That's what he looks like in a tournament too. Right. Well, I'm smiling when I heard him. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I just I just want to say for people looking to to like grow their fighting game, there's nobody better than Coach Tato uh, to do that. He's got a lot of great resources. Anatole's really amazing with stab chats. Um, Sir Spin, he has a channel. It, I can send you guys the link to post up with the video or yep. whatever um, on those shots that I was talking about earlier. Um, and you should definitely hit uh, Warlord Gun up for questions about how uh, how he worked on things and the kind of resources that he used. I'll put his uh, personal def- cell number in the show notes. That's right. I'll give that to you. Eight six five. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, and hit people up. I don't think I've uh, as as toxic as I've been in the past. I don't think I've ever turned anybody down that wanted to work on things that I've been at an event with or at a practice with. So. Anybody actually. Um, that's right. Regardless yeah. of the person, yeah. male, female, whatever age, yeah, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, don't don't be afraid to lean on the people that know more than you, and uh, don't, uh, don't don't be uh, intimidated by it. Don't don't be intimidated by them being a sword knight or a warlord. Yeah. Ask. Yeah, Worst thing they can say is not today. Yeah. Or no. I'm really yeah. drunk right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm going to plug one thing, and it's because we kind of committed to it in the um, the the Kodiak episode. But we are doing oh, a we? yeah, 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 dude. That's on their page and everything. So uh, there is a a fundraiser currently going on oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Dragonspine to come full circle. Yeah, I think it's Dragonspine for uh, St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Um, and if they raise, I think they're at like eleven hundred, twelve hundred dollars right now. If they get to five thousand, um, Flo here is going to shave his beard on stream. It's going to be tragic. Um, so that's the only thing I want to pitch. Uh, anything else, guys? I can't think of anything. <laughs> no, just, uh, just, to, <laughs> just to echo something that Sir Gillen said, you know, we're, we're at a point here in Tennessee. I won't speak for all of the other kingdoms, uh, where we're going to be able to start meeting at some point in 2021. It's probably looking like it'll be closer to middle 2021, so a lot of the resources that Sir Gillen discussed, that Warlord Gunn discussed, the videos, different things that you can do at home to start kind of getting yourself back in shape, especially if you haven't been moving around a lot, now's the time to start doing it. And you can start small and you can start with, you know, how, however much you can do in, at a single time and start building back up because coming back out and trying to fight at the level that you were if you haven't been doing a whole lot is how you get injured. And I don't want to see anybody injured. So... Take them up on those resources. Uh, hit up uh, Gun's cell number once it gets posted into the uh, to the show notes. <laughs> yep. um, seriously, just talk to people. Talk to talk to the uh, to the Sword Knights, the Warlords that we have. Uh, they're uh, they're they're there to to help out. They want to see better fighters because better fighters for them means more fun uh, overall for everybody. It, you as the fighting moves up in the kingdom, mm-hmm. the the as each person moves up maybe that's a better way to say that the skill level overall will increase because the people that are bouncing off of you are going to get better too 
Yeah. So and uh, and Gun is going to be a, a knight sooner rather than later. He's going to need a squire, and he just got a new place with. Uh, looks like that's some pretty. You can move right in with him. I mean, continue the tradition, right? <laughs> you need a roommate, Gun? I'm trying to help you out here. What's your number again? I'll put it in the... No, we're good. Can I be your squire? Oh, fuck. <laughs> All right. With that, I'm going to roll us out. Thank you so much, guys. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on YouTube or Spotify to get notified about new episodes. And make sure to follow us on Facebook for announcements and more.